Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. You know, I got a little tongue-tied as many times as I said that little introduction doing my title today. I was like, wow, I might really mess this up. I know. Well, it seems like for a short week, this has been the longest week ever. So I have a feeling we're both getting a little tongue-tied or... Just a little bit of Zoom fatigue, I think. We had a board meeting this week, so it's been quite a bit of time on Zoom. Absolutely. And um, I think that's a good reason to probably just jump right in. We have a really good episode today, Darby. Um, Really great. We have our market update, of course, with Tiffany LaMondola, and she's going to join us next week for a a virtual kitchen table, which we'll talk about at the end. But um, really good interview you and I had with Ashley Rosales, the registered dietary nutrition nutritionist at the Dairy Council of California. I thought that was a really good conversation and I'm really excited for our listeners to hear it. It was great. And you know, you and I actually talked offline with her after we were done recording for quite a while longer and just so intelligent, such a wealth of information. It was really great to get to talk to her. Absolutely. And she's also going to be joining us for a kitchen table meeting coming up in February. So we'll have more details about that as well. But Really excited for that. Um, Anya joins you to talk about Western United's newest rollout, the Western United Human Resource Services Program. Um, So you and Anya talked for a bit about words and we'll have a few comments from our partner in that endeavor, Anthony Raimondo from Raimondo and Associates. And then Rochelle joins us for an update from the Loop program, Lucheros Unidos de California. Yeah, I'm excited. So with that all being said, maybe we'll jump right into Tiffany LaMondola for the market update. Hi, folks. Well, volatility continues to be the theme here in the dairy markets this week. Uh, The cheese market kind of took the biggest uh, beating. We lost 22 cents on the block price uh, down to 161 to close the week and 18 cents on the barrel price down to 139 and a quarter. You know, the, over the past couple of weeks, as news around stimulus for food aid and the food boxes uh, program uh, circulated, uh, there was, I think, a fear of a cheese shortage being created by that demand. And I think what the markets are now reeling with is the reality is that we, we have no cheese shortage. In fact, uh, cheese is well supplied as uh, milk is, is plentiful in almost all regions of the countryside. Um, It was also, I guess, a little bit disappointing to the bulls in the marketplace when USDA did roll out awards for some of those food box programs early in the week, indicating that they would do it in three waves. So again, $1.5 billion was originally uh, allocated or slated. Um, in this first wave, they're spending about $354 million to buy uh, 11.1 million boxes with indications that all three rounds would be about at a similar level. So the cadence of the rollout um, was disappointing to the markets, as well as the fact that it could fall short of that total $1.5 billion um, if the waves are all at the same level. Uh, so I think we're back to grappling with... Um, plentiful milk. And and indeed, uh, you know, one indicator out of the Midwest shows spot milk prices at uh, six, at a midpoint of $6.25 under class. That's one of the lowest uh, numbers we've seen and certainly well below um, 
minus, you know, just 75 cents last year. So bottom line, lots of milk, plenty inexpensive milk uh, for those plants who want it or, or have to process it. We did have a positive global dairy trade this week um, on Tuesday as well, which right out of the gates did support the butter and nonfat markets. Um, recall last week, butter dipped to 129. We did see it climb back a bit this week to $1.40 and a quarter. Um, nonfat futures got excited by the global dairy trade kind of the following day. But here as the week rolled on, we ended up losing about two and three quarter cents down to 117.25. Um, again, just markets kind of, um, you know, flip flopping here as we, uh, deal with the milk situation and, and, you know, all the different, um, demand scenarios. Um, certainly schools are not back in everywhere. Uh, food service is still reeling. Retail's doing great. Retail looks, um, stellar kind of across the board for dairy products. Um, and again, kind of disappointing out of, out of the government. One thing that probably helped, butter, though, is that um, in a different pot of money, USDA is rolling out Section 32 purchases. Um, and it sounds like from context, there is some demand to move some of the butter um, that's been uh, in inventory for a while uh, to, to fill those needs. We are also, again, in that time frame where old crop butter, uh, that butter made before December 1st, has only about another month to make its way to Chicago, and then um, only only new crop butter can be marketed. Uh, we start next week with a milk production report and a cold storage report on Monday, so we'll be good to have some updated indicators. Hope everybody has a great weekend, and please reach out with any questions. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Well, thanks so much again, Tiffany. We really appreciate such a good market update. Now we're going to jump into uh, Melissa's and my conversation with Ashley Rosales from the Dairy Council of California. Well, we're excited to have Ashley Rosales, a RDN and Program Director for Nutrition Sciences at the Dairy Council of California today. Thank you so much for taking some time to be on with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to talk about the 2020 to 2025 dietary guidelines that just got released. Yes, definitely. These, um, you know, came out a little less than a month ago and, you know, because of their importance in the um, recommendations of eating patterns for all Americans across their lifespan. You know, these are really um, important guidelines to make sure that we know and can utilize in championing our work of um, healthy eating patterns that include milk and dairy foods. Well, as we get started, maybe could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role with the Dairy Council? Yeah, so um, again, thank you for having me. My name is Ashley Rosales and I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and I work as the program director of nutrition science for Dairy Council of California. We are a nutrition education organization with a cause of elevating the health of children and families th through the pursuit of lifelong healthy eating habits. So in my role, um, I lead the nutrition science team and a big part of that is actively curating and translating the latest in nutrition and dairy research. 
as well as up-to-date dietary recommendations to support our various stakeholders, such as health professionals, educators, and the dairy community so that we can use this um, information in insightful and in meaningful ways. I also wanted to share briefly um, through overseeing um, this work at Dairy Council of California, we have a very proprietary trends process. And that is a monitoring and reporting system that looks at tracking emerging nutrition trends. It analyzes and distills um, nutrition insights so that we can best anticipate changes in the environment. And also we use this to help inform and empower um, our uh, stakeholders, including our dairy community, so that we can amplify the important role of milk and dairy foods in daily healthy eating patterns. Well, Ashley, that's a, that's a big role you have and you work really hard to incorporate the dietary guidelines that are released every five years into your mission at the Dairy Council of California. Before we get too much into um, the new dietary guidelines and all the exciting things there are to learn, can you tell us a little bit about um, the background on dietary guidelines from, you know, we, we kind of think of the food pyramid or the food plate as um, leading our dietary choices. So can you just share a little bit about um, what they exactly are and how they're written over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when it comes to familiarity, most people think of those visual um, education tools that come with the guidelines, such as the what used to be my, my pyramid and now my plate. Um, but it's really, I think, important to understand the true breadth and impact that the dietary guidelines for Americans have. So what they really are, are to serve um, and to provide recommendations on what Americans should eat and drink to promote health and to help prevent chronic diseases. So they're an important tool for health professionals, for policymakers, and for other professionals. But what's really important is that they serve as a basis for federal nutrition assistance programs that help support families uh, in choosing healthy uh, diets and improving their access to nutritious foods. And so these programs, many uh, you're familiar with, the national school and uh, breakfast and lunch programs, women, infant, children, or WIC, SNAP, and the child and adult care food programs. So that's a little bit about how important they are and the impacts that they can have on um, creating access to nutrition education and to nutritious foods. But in terms of process, that's also very important, you know, knowing the credibility of these guidelines. So each edition of the dietary guidelines is intended to build upon the previous. And so these are made, these updates are made about um, every five years. And so that's really looking at the newest and newly available body of scientific nutrition evidence and research. And so they're really grounded in science, and that's really important to understand. Um, it start, the process starts with selecting a group of diverse experts that serve as part of what's called the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. And this committee takes into account all the current nutrition science and evidence, and they analyze it, and they distill it. And from that, they develop a report which summarizes their findings and recommendations. And then the USDA and Health and Human Services utilize this committee's report, and they also take into account uh, comments from public and federal agencies, 
and ultimately they release the final guidelines. And so just last month, as we said, the 2020 to 2025 dietary guidelines for Americans were released and it included updated and expanded information for people of all ages. Awesome. I did a little deep dive on Friday evening into the dietary guidelines and there's some pretty interesting and just really exciting things in the guidelines. And they talk about just such a variety of different things about, you know, food sources and how people can source different types of vitamins and minerals and protein and, you know, caloric intake there. It's really interesting if you kind of sit down and, and start to digest, so to speak, what's yeah. in those guidelines and how they can help um, you know, I, I'm looking at them from a, a perspective of just an American consumer and, you know, from a, a dietary or a dietitian's perspective, um, probably a lot more exciting than they were for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that you're, you're definitely right. They're really, they can be a great tool for consumers on how to adopt healthier eating habits. Um, and in the new dietary guidelines, we're calling that make every bite count. So that's really important. Important. There's always a way for all of us to improve our eating habits and get more nutritious foods as part of our daily um, healthy eating patterns. But it's also important, you know, to really go back to that these guidelines serve as a basis for these really important programs that support healthy eating for children and their families. And so, you know, ensuring that these guidelines are understood, that the messages within them are amplified um, is really important. And it's especially important for us in the dairy community because the newly released dietary guidelines does reinforce the important role of dairy foods like milk, cheese, and yogurt in supporting the health and well-being of people across their lifespan. And this is a really important point. And maybe you notice this when you were reviewing the guidelines um, that for the first time, the guidelines address the nutritional needs of key life stages. Yeah. So looking from infancy into you know, early childhood, um, childhood, adolescence, uh, pregnancy, adulthood, and into an older adulthood. And milk and dairy foods are included as part of healthy eating patterns throughout life. Yes, yeah. So kind of talking about the new dietary guidelines, and maybe we can talk about some of the, the changes that have happened in this new set. And you talked about why they're important for so many programs and how they impact the diets of children and their families. And maybe we can take a little bit of a deeper dive into what's different and how that looks for us as, as producers and members of the dairy community. Yeah, that's a great question. I think before we go into what's new and different, I think it's important to note that there are, there are much that was carried over from the previous edition. And so one of those is that, um, that the recommended dietary patterns include dairy continuing to be recognized as a distinct food group. And that includes consistent daily servings that were um, carried forward as recommended in the previous dietary guidelines. Um, and that the body of evidence does continue to show that dairy foods like milk, yogurt, and cheese offer a unique package of nutrients that work together. They provide multiple health benefits that can be seen throughout life, including supporting um, optimal growth and development in children and reducing the risk of developing chronic um, diseases, specifically looking at um, chronic diseases that we see impacting so many Americans like type two diabetes and heart and heart disease. Um, but to your point, what's new and different, for the first time, as I mentioned previously, the dietary guidelines recommend healthy eating patterns for infants and toddlers 
starting from birth to 24 months. And this life stage is really important. You know, as an infant is developing those early food preferences, what they eat and drink at that time as they begin um, going into early childhood influence those food and beverage choices throughout their life. And milk, cheese, and yogurt were established and recommended um, as important for children's health, their growth, and their development. And they were included in this first ever um, healthy eating you know, recommendations for, for this early age group, which was really, really exciting. Yeah, I got to visit National Dairy Council, not this October, but the October previous to that. And someone that we got to talk with was working on these guidelines to discuss when you can implement certain dairy products in a, in a child and in an infant's life you know, stages. And it was so interesting. I never really thought of how important that is to break that down. And then I have a friend who just became a new mom. And um, the number of times she, you know, she calls her pediatrician or she calls to ask these questions. And it really kind of, I connected the dots of like, if the pediatricians are giving this advice and this is the national advice, how important this could be to continuing, you know, having dairy and a healthy diet and starting that at, at the right ages. Exactly. Those eating patterns, when they're established young, can be carried throughout life. And especially when they're role model, modeled by parents that are, you know, serving as those early, you know, guides into helping their children develop healthy eating. Um, I think, you know, another key point that was included in the dietary guidelines is reinforcing that, you know, the evidence shows that for for many children and families in California, but also throughout the United States, that diet quality remains low. We're reminded that more than half of adults have one or more diet-related chronic diseases. And you know, what's, what's opportunities for us is that focusing on you know, including a variety of nutrient-dense foods, being mindful of our portion size for our, our own individual unique needs should be the foundation of our eating patterns. And with that, milk and dairy foods has a really important part because they continue to be shown to provide um, you know, important nu uh, nutrition for people throughout their life. But what's more is they help increase in our diet quality, which is you know, really what we all need. Um, again, the dietary guidelines identified nutrients of public health concern. So these are nutrients that most Americans are not getting enough of to support their health. And specifically potassium, calcium, and vitamin D continue to be nutrients of concern. Um, so they're you know, three of the four that are mentioned and milk and dairy foods are a important contribution of these nutrients in the diet. Absolutely. Well, considering all of that information, Ashley, that, you know, a lot of folks in our country and our state, especially have a deficiency of those nutrients and dairy is such a good way to include those nutrients in your diet. Maybe we can transition a little bit to how dairy producers can be engaged in education around the guidelines and sharing the good news about dairy in their communities. Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, how can we make these guidelines really actionable and meaning meaningful? And I think just you know, one of the values that we all share in the dairy community is understanding that good nutrition plays an important role in protecting the health of people across their life and in supporting healthier communities. So, you know, we really have an opportunity to talk about how 
how healthy eating habits um, really can help play a key role in improving people's health. Um, and specifically how milk and dairy foods continue to be an important part of developing those healthy eating patterns. But also, you know, reminding ourselves that these dietary guidelines are more than ju just, you know, um, tools to tell us what to eat. They really give us an opportunity to spark collaborative action. They can be the uh, foundation of nutrition policy and larger educational efforts which when putting all of that together can increase access to healthful, nutritious foods and beverages like milk and dairy foods. And so, you know, that's, that's something that we can all do is continue to talk about utilizing these guidelines in this broader um, support of healthy eating for people of all ages in our communities. Definitely, well, this has been a great um, bit of information for our producers and, and just anyone in general. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I have a, some little minor health concerns myself and I know how important a good foundation is um, in healing and a healthy diet is certainly a good foundation. So we really appreciate you coming on. Anything else, Ashley, that you'd like to add to our listeners before we let you go today? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the dietary guidelines did mention in their, um, in their overview really some other key things that to keep in mind. And one of them is that collaboration is really gonna be vital to improving the health of all um, Americans. And so this is something that I think we can take as a call to action collaborating in, in and among the dairy community and then outwardly into our, um, into our communities. And this is a value that you know, the dairy community shares. Um, and so we really have an opportunity to use the momentum for the Dietary Guidelines for Americans in our efforts to elevate the health of children and families in California by improving eating habits. And I just wanted to share that Dairy Council of California in this spirit of collaboration recently launched, launched our Let's Eat Healthy movement. And this is you know, our way to help empower stakeholders to come together and champion community health for nutrition, including teaching and inspiring communities to help make every bite count. Really trying to find those solutions that help empower children and families to make healthy eating easier and to develop those lifelong healthy eating habits. And so we want to invite our dairy community to be a part of that and to help us um, you know, by joining the movement and extending our ability to make every bite count here in California. And, really making milk and dairy foods an important part of those healthy eating patterns. And dairy community members can learn more about that at healthyeating.org backslash join. Awesome. And we'll link that in our show notes for sure. And make sure we send that out to all of our producers. And again, a big thank you, Ashley. We also want to mention for our listeners, Ashley, you're going to be joining us for one of our Western United virtual kitchen table meetings. That's going to be February 11th at 11 a.m. So we really appreciate you and producers um, that have questions or, or any listener that has questions can email those ahead of the kitchen table meeting to myself or Darby. And we have our emails linked in the show notes as well. But really, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A big thanks again to Ashley for joining us today and keep an eye out for our kitchen table meeting with Ashley in just a few weeks. 
Next, Anya and Darby roll out the Western United Human Resources Program. Well, I'm here with West United Dairy CEO Anya Radaba, and we're excited to have Anya on today to talk about our new WERS program. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped about it. So maybe as we get started, I love acronyms, so maybe we can talk a little mm -hmm. bit about, about what is our Western United Human Resource Services Program. WERS is a lawsuit prevention program that will offer full labor law and OSHA compliance service to dairy families. The concept is to reduce the liability currently facing farmers for wage and hour law issues. So can you give us some background on why Western United worked to create this program? Steadily over time, um, it was further complicated by the COVID pandemic. We watched our farmers struggle with staying up to date in compliance with fast changing labor laws in California. We're exceptional in California in that we have the highest environmental and labor compliance burdens in the world for dairy farmers. And the exceptional labor challenges exacerbated by the pandemic spurred Western to develop a program that's more hands-on than our prior approaches to labor. We recognize that in 2020 alone, the cost of dairy-specific defense in wage and hour litigation was between sixty dollars and $100,000. So the average cost for farmers to settle these claims is usually between $100,000 and $600,000. So we see this occur often over a minor error in payroll counting or a lack of meal and rest break documentation. So this program was developed as a prevention strategy with these cases in mind. So if I was interested in subscribing to WERS, can you explain what a subscription would look like? Sure. We've done the program into three main areas of compliance. Uh, first we have, and probably the most prevalent and predominant one is wage and hour compliance and payroll auditing. Uh, the phase includes workers' compensation and disability discrimination litigation prevention. And the final phase is OSHA and IIPP oversight and implementation. Each phase includes legal advice and the protections for the dairy farmers that come with it. Well, it seems like phase one is, is a big deal and would be a pretty big part of the program. Could you go into some more detail about what the WER subscription service provides in this wage and hour space? Phase one is the biggest deal. Um, in, in dealing with long-term compliance and lawsuit prevention for the state of California. We are seeing a skyrocketing number of nuisance litigations in this area alone. So we thought that an ounce of prevention right now was like a vaccine payoff later. So phase one includes wage and hour law compliance, a complete employee handbook, timekeeping records, payroll records, check stub compliance, and sexual harassment training for owners and employees. In addition, the program will provide for its subscribers all translation and training of these documents in Spanish. Just to give you an example, <clears throat> a payroll audit in alone, including the compliance view that WERS is offering, is typically between $7,500 and $1,000. So we're hopeful that the return on investment for dairies enrolled in the program would be fairly immediate in just a few months of subscription. Well, it seems like listening to that, that Spanish-speaking translations along with employee relations is a big part of WERS and kind of the overall feel of the program. Is that kind of a correct assessment? Yeah, we've previously taken a hands-off approach, um, particularly to the Spanish pieces, 
and just pass these compliance documents along to our farmers as part of our services. But WERS is taking this to a whole new level, not just by doing the work for the dairyman through an attorney, but also by assigning a Spanish-speaking liaison to each enrolled dairy who will go through uh, several th the member. There'll be a one-on-one -on -one employee meeting to ensure that the employee is satisfied with the workplace and that they are clear and in their understanding on the instructions per the employee handbook, that their meal and rest breaks are clearly understood and that on-site training employees of the entire employee handbook is gonna be part of the program. So regular follow-up in Spanish each year will also document that the employees are both complying with the rules and that they're satisfied with their employer. We feel that employee um, satisfaction is fundamentally an important step in preventing future litigation later. So as part of this program, we wanna demonstrate that each employee was trained in these compliance areas and that we're also offering them the training. Uh, so we're, we're hoping that we eliminate a lot of variables for future litigation. So are there are other kinds of preventative headaches this program will help dairy families with. So by closing the door to liability opportunities on the wage and hour side, we also recognize that we need to close the door to potential legal liabilities on the housing side. What uh, we're subscribers will receive unlimited assistance in getting people out of housing when and where appropriate. Uh, the Wooers, uh, again, speaking Spanish, would approach each situation carefully and with fully protections. Um, and so our members are constantly encountering challenges relating to housing that we offer as part of our employment. So Wooers will effectuate the mediation and removal of these problematic employees. Oftentimes, employees know that they need to move on, but it's something simple like needing first month's deposit to do so. So WERS is gonna facilitate our members' needs in that space. What differentiates WERS from other HR um, companies that are currently already on the market? WERS is designed to stand apart and be different from what other companies currently offer. This is mainly due to the legal advice our subscribers are able to receive. Because we're working directly with attorneys who can give legal advice, each phase of compliance is executed individually for that dairy and under a legal umbrella of confidentiality. This is really important because more and more plaintiff attorneys are currently suing dairies. Uh, they're subpoenaing the dairy's HR company for documents and emails. Those companies are not allowed to invoke attorney-client privilege, so all communications and known legal issues are by law required to be turned over as part of those litigations. So we're subscribers part of an attorney-client confidentiality agreement and every communication will be privileged, confidential, and not allowable in court. Can you tell me more about the OSHA compliance phase of the program? Yeah. Most dairy families have good resources already for OSHA compliance and IIPP development but WERS is taking these resources to another level by enforcing those resources. The hope is that the dairyman would be motivated to implement the documents because one, he's paying for the service, and two, the faster he comes into compliance with all three phases of WERS, which includes OSHA and IIP compliance, the faster the lower maintenance fee kicks in and the sooner he can gain access to unlimited legal advice and representation. So you mentioned the unlimited legal advice and representation part of WERS. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's up with that? WERS program against lawsuits, and we feel confident that 
each dairy goes through the three phases of clients we're offering, that our attorney will be able to defend any wage and hour claim, payroll issue, OSHA fine or violation as part of the nominal maintenance fee in the program. The attorneys were using No Dairy extremely well, arguably the best in the business, and that's why the program is set up a bit rigorously on the paperwork oversight front end so that we miss and remove the target off the dairy's back for annual litigation. So with all that being said, you've explained to us all the benefits of the program. What are the fees that WERS is charging its members? So we had concerns about offering fee system based on the number of employees as the front loaded work of wage and hour compliance is generally the same for most dairies. You're either part of the way there for one employee or you're not even close to compliance for all employees. So we settled on a dairy size formula similar to the parity most dairy trade organizations use when charging membership. Our rates are uh, $500 a month for a 500 cow or less dairy, $900 a month for a 500 to 1,000 cow dairy, and $1,250 a month for a 1,000 cow plus dairy. We also have a discount schedule, so it's 50% discount for each additional dairy member. Um, and then, of course, we have some offerings if you wanted to pay up front. But the critical piece here is that the faster the member comes into compliance with all three phases, the faster their rates drop down by half. That's the maintenance fee that I talked about. So whatever you were paying for these uh, monthly fees, let's say you can get all three phases done in three to six months, your maintenance fee, which includes quarterly payroll audits, updated wage and hour compliance trainings and certifications, updated labor handbooks, um, would be half of what you were paying as your regular subscriber rate. So um, a 500 to 1,000 cow dairy that was paying $900 a month, its maintenance fee would be $450 a month. All right, well, thanks so much. I'm really excited to see this and get it started rolling and hopefully help some more dairy families take one thing off their plate and come better into compliance. Thanks for having me, really hope so. Um, this has been a huge collaboration between the Western United Dairymen Board um, and Romando and Associates, again, the attorneys that we feel are the best in the dairy business. Dairies is, uh, forgive the pun, its own animal. Um, and so distinguishing how we comply with wage and hour law is really important. And I think having knowledge of how milking barns work, shifts work, um, and generally cow knowledge was really important to the board as we developed this program. So we really, um, we hope that members take advantage of it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Darby or Melissa or myself. Um, you can find a lot more information on Western United Dairies website um, under WERS. There's a lot of additional pieces of each phase to help the dairies that want to enroll understand what their commitments and time allocations will be as part of the program. Well, thanks so much, Anya. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. 
Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Hello, Dairy members. Have you heard about our program, Lecheros Unidos de California? It's a new labor program for Western United Dairies, and it's offering free to members. The only thing you have to do is contact our office at 209-527-6453 and ask for Rochelle. You can email us well with your labor needs or questions at rashell at wudaires.com. Lecheros Unidos of California provides all types of experienced workers to dairy families all over the state of California. Let us know who you need and we will help you fill your positions. We do the advertising and interviews to find you a good match. Get on the Lecheros Unidos of California list today. You never know when your dairy will need the help. Remember to call the office number at 209-527-6453, and we will be glad to help you out. Thank you, and have a nice day. Well, as we wrap up another great episode, we want to cover a topic we've been getting quite a lot of questions about this week, and that's the newly released PPP program. First, we want to encourage dairymen to look into the program and explore their eligibility with their local bankers. We can answer some basic questions at WUD, but details are best covered by the experts. Your lending institution will definitely have the answers you need on the program. Right, and second, while we do hope dairymen look into the option, we want to be very frank about the requirements. We've had a lot of questions and the new PPP program release, the Paycheck Protection Program, requires businesses to show a 25% loss year over year to apply. So we've had a lot of questions about it and we do know that some dairies likely will qualify for that, but we just want you to know exactly what the qualifications are. And if you can't qualify, um, let's get together and explore some other options to help with business continuity on the farm. Yeah, and those other business options bring us to our last point and that's CFAP 3.0. We're working very closely with USDA to bring you more details of this program. What we know so far is that CFAP 3.0 likely will not look like one and two in that it probably won't be a direct payment program, but will likely be an expansion of an existing program like the DMC. We'll bring you a special segment and likely a virtual kitchen table meeting on the topic once we know more. Yeah, and it sounds like those details are probably going to be released in the next several weeks. We're just not sure when. So I know there's a lot of questions out there. Keep asking. We have, I have a list of names of people we're going to send out info to, um, and we'll send it out, of course, in our updates and through our other channels as well. And speaking of virtual kitchen table meetings, next Thursday, our virtual kitchen table meeting will feature Tiffany LaMondola of Blimling, what's contract economist, and she's going to provide a market update for our producers. Tiffany looks at where the markets have been in the past year and how that may affect where they're headed in the future. In addition, she'll share some strategies for producers to mitigate market downturns in the upcoming year. Yeah, and um, we have some other really great virtual kitchen table meetings on tap. We'll be hearing from Anya and Paul Souza in the coming weeks. And as we mentioned, Ashley Rosales, who we spoke to today from the Dairy Council will also be sharing with us coming up in February. And I think producers are really gonna to wanna to pay special attention to that virtual kitchen table offering. Um, if you have questions or would like us to cover a specific topic in those kitchen table meetings, feel free to send us an email at info 
at wudairies.com or you can email any staff member, including Darby or I. And as always, we want to give a huge thank you to everyone who took time to be on the podcast this week. That includes Tiffany LaMondola, Ashley Rosales, Anya Radabaugh, and Rochelle Segura for joining us for today's episode. And thank you to all our listeners and our members. Remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. You can send those to wud.pod at gmail.com or to Melissa, M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com or myself, Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And as we wrap up, as always, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great and hopefully rainy week, everyone. Ditto. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com.